Today's reading is Isaiah 55, verses 1 to 13. It can be found on page 683 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me as we begin to look and listen to this passage. Our God of grace, as we come into this room, we bring with us um, the mood and the temperament and the emotions, the relationships, the events and circumstances of our lives. We bring uh, concerns as, a, as parents, as parents-to-be. We bring concerns as um, uh, financial concerns. We bring political worldwide concerns. We bring relationship concerns. Um, we bring mental health concerns. We bring our mood in here today. And some of us come with gratitude while others come a little bit ticked off about one thing or another. Some of us come happy, some of us come with sadness. And so God, as we do come into this space from different places, may you mysteriously work to meet us and to give us uh, words of life that we walk away knowing you better having heard your voice this morning. Remind us that we are more of a mess than we care to admit, but this is a safe space for that because this is a grace space where we say also that we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. How could that be? 
We often feel like a mess, and we need to hear. We're more loved and accepted despite our mess than we could ever dream. And may that, may that be what we walk away with this morning. May that transform us as we meet with you and hear your voice. Now in this time, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Isaiah 55. So our question of the week was, how can someone become more spiritual? Pretty simple question. We got some, some really cool answers. Someone said, more time in the presence of God's Spirit. More time with the poor, who are often more connected to God than those with financial security. How can someone become more spiritual? Someone else said, you can't become more spiritual. This is like the philosopher answer. You are a spiritual being, just like you are a human being. You can practice spirituality or not, but that does not make one less or more spiritual like that. And someone else said, spend time with the word in silence, inviting God into your life. How do you be more spiritual? When we, when we met together uh, last year as a leadership team and we began a process of identifying, trying to get to the end of a process where we said, this is where we're going. This is, we, we've prayed enough and considered enough about what God has done already at City Life that we can say, this is where it's going. Let's set our eyes so that we can kind of make decisions towards something and move towards something specific. And that vision came out looking like this. It's actually in one of the pages of your worship guide every week. City Life's five-year vision statement. In the next five years, City Life will see a noticeable increase in people of diverse backgrounds in Sacramento who are desiring their own spiritual formation because they see the gospel's credibility in the lives and community of City Life Church. Well, today we talk about spiritual formation. Maybe you caught that in there. One of the things we noticed early on as we prayed and thought about what has God done at City Life, we say, when, right away, one of the things that came to the top is spiritual formation. And when we were talking about that, um, it was, we were talking about ways we've seen people just this has been a safe community for people to really meet God, really experience what we talk about as the gospel, this extreme grace of God that transforms, and how we've seen so much of that in different ways. And we said, for sure, God has been doing that already, and that's a part of us moving forward. That's something we do well. We thought about ways that we've seen people get baptized or stand up here and tell a story about how they, you know, something God had done in their life. We thought about all the ways that now we're five years into doing the dive group, which is an intense spiritual formation kind of uh, group that happens each year. So we were thinking about all that that God has done well through City Life. And one of my favorite passages that speaks to all of that is Isaiah 55. We just read it. And, and part of why it's one of my favorites is because it ties into others of my favorites throughout the Bible because of all this eating and drinking. You know, well, yeah, there's that. That I didn't know someone was going to laugh at that point, but yeah, <laughs> eating and drinking. But no, it, it connects with me with things like the woman at the well in John chapter 4, you know, the living water of Jesus. It connects to me with uh, Psalm 63 
my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. That that's kind of how God, so it connects to a lot of things. Um, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of our God. These are scripture passages that have been important to me, and Isaiah 55 connects with all of those. And so we're going to look at three dynamics of spiritual formation today from Isaiah 55, and these are the three. The three things we're going to just stop and look at briefly are that it's that whatever this formation is in here, whatever it is Isaiah 55 is talking about, it's free, it's inexplicable, and it's edible. All right. So it's free, it's inexplicable, and it's edible. First of all, it's free. And by that, I really want to emphasize that for you, if you're like me, it's unearnable. It's not earnable. You don't pay the price for this formation. You don't generate this formation. You don't earn this formation. You don't accomplish the kind of formation that God does in your life. No one said amen to any of those things? Amen. Amen. Um, that's different than what you will hear in a lot of places. That's different than what we're used to doing, or the default drive of our heart. How we seem to be wired is, um, what did that shirt say, Katie? That you, don't, you don't work, you don't eat. Yeah. One of Katie's favorite shirts from growing up that she saw in her family. If you don't work, you don't eat. You know, you got to earn it. And that drives us. That's the default drive of the human heart. And you see, instead of that here in 55, Isaiah 55, you see the gospel marketing, the gospel version of marketing. It's kind of backwards. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? and your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. That's like reverse marketing, right? It's not how it works. We're used to purchase plans. Maybe you signed up for a credit card or a bank checking account at some point, and, and at some point they sent you an email because you know you weren't using your card enough, and they want to get you to use it some more, and so they send you this really cool offer some kind of offer, you know, like 12 months, no interest, you know, as long as you spend $1,000 on an item, you know, at this store. Or whatever. You know, you get these, I, I don't know if you've seen offers like this. And then what, what is there like underneath it? There's like this footnotes and tiny print, and it's about two pages long of all this, all the fine print. It's, it's a mountain of fine print that you end up having to climb after getting this offer, right? There, that's kind of how it works. That's how we're used to things working. It sounds like a good idea, but in the end, who pays? You do, right? A bunch of fine print, and that's all on you. It's a mountain of fine print for you to climb, and that can be what we can construct our relationship with God that way. You can walk into here, and actually I know because I meet with so many people that I know that, that, that it's just almost most of the time, it seems, most of us are constructing a mountain of fine print. And it's actually getting in the way of us meeting the God who wants to form us for free. 
So spiritual formation is not going to be about what you are doing or not doing. It's, uh, it's going to be about what God is doing or not doing in your life. That's what it's all about. And if you want to grow, then you're going to have to drink deep of God's grace. So that's the first thing. It's free. This kind of stuff we're talking about with Jesus, with the Bible, with grace, the formation is free. You need to drink deep of grace. But it's also inexplicable. It's confusing. It doesn't make sense. Verse 3 as we kind of keep reading from where I was, give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. This is written to people who, um, this is you know the original milieu, the context, the time in which that statement was made in Isaiah 55 was people who had been in a covenant with God, a relationship where God had freely given them a lot. And they turned from that God eventually and they said, you know, I I like the cultural formulas around me better. I like these idols and that and I want to trust myself. So, So just think about that. It's kind of puzzling. I will make a covenant. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. It's a God saying that to a group of people whose track record suggests that there will be nothing everlasting about this covenant because this is a people over and over again. In fact, they are in exile hearing this message because they were given so much for free and all they had to do was continue to drink from this guy, you know, eat and drink of this God, and they chose to go and eat and drink from everything else. And so they're in exile. They're in painful exile. In fact, the people hearing the message are, are like the descendants, the, the children, uh, 50, 60, 70, 80 years later from the people originally sent off from their promised land that God had given them freely. And so, the, you know, this is their children, but it's like this track record of this people who, whose devotion is inconsistent. In the worship guide, there's a quote by Reuben Job that says, The thirst for God is universal because we have been created with a longing for the Creator. This desire to know and be known by the one who made us and loves us is often ignored, denied, and finally buried under a, multiple, a multitude of pursuits and interests. That's true of all of us. That's true of the people who heard... Isaiah 55, the first time. The quote goes on to say, But then some event in life invites or forces us to pause, and the desire for God comes rushing back to our awareness. And once again, we know that real life is impossible without the companionship of the one who first gave us the gift of life and who sustains us even now. We know for certain that we need living water. We need what only God can give if we are really to live. Why are we so inconsistent and forgettable? Our devotion always so not dependable. Why? But that's not the real puzzle. The real puzzle is, why is this God who knows this very well about you and me, who knows this about us, why does he say things like, let them, 
Let the wicked forsake their ways. Let them turn to the Lord, in verse 7, and he will have mercy on them for to our God, or and turn to our God, for he will freely pardon. Why is he so quick to enter back in, to offer this again? What's wrong with God? Is, he, is there a screw loose? Is he one brick shy of a load? Doesn't he know where this goes? There's nothing everlasting about our deal-making with God. We make a deal with God one day, we run the other direction the next. What is he up to? And I think you've got to do business with, just if you're ever going to know God and be formed by him, you've got to do business with how any relationship with God it has a troubling, inexplicable part to it, and that part is the God part. Why? Why does God enter back in? Not even just enter back in, but if you look at verse 5, surely you will summon nations you do not know, and nations you do not know will come running to you, because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has endowed you with splendor. I mean, the, the lavishness of this offer to, the, to us who are terribly inconsistent at keeping an agreement with God. Just pouring out this covenant. Why would God risk another disappointing and disastrous journey with imperfect people? That's a question I just want you to sit with and wonder. Sit with the inexplicability of God's grace. Are you confused enough about Jesus' forgiveness on the cross? Are you enough in a place where it just it doesn't make sense? And I would say if you're there, if you're, if you're going to grow, you need to be there at least some of the time, maybe a lot of the time, and drink deep of the inexplicable and let that drive you deeper into knowing God and try to understand how I think he's a little bit like, if my best answer would be he's a little bit like I will be someday or would be, if a grandchild of mine or a child of mine went down a path of addiction and just kept coming back and using up our love and going out and spending it and coming back and coming back. I've heard of parents, I've talked to parents who've gone through this kind of thing. And there's just continues to be this piece of them that says, you know what? Even though I've been burned a hundred times, I'll let you in again. I'll try one more time. I think that gets me the closest to understanding the inexplicable about God's love and God's offer of grace to you today. And that'll transform you if you start to see God that way. Feel God that way. And you start to see how you've been coming back and spending and going back again and then spending it. If you start to see the specific ways that you do that, Oh, that love will be meaningful to you and valuable to you. So drink of God's grace, drink of the inexplicable, and then drink of God's word. It's edible. It's edible. That's the third thing about this formation. Verses 10 and 11. If you're wondering what is this food and this drink referring to, well, one of the things that's dropped in the middle is that it's this new covenant. I already read that part. It's a covenant, God's gracious covenant with us, an agreement to love us. But another way that it's talked about, when you get to verse 10, 
is this beautiful imagery, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. And then here is kind of the giveaway. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not, bless you, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So what is, what is the thing that this passage is offering us to eat and drink? Anyone? What's that? I didn't hear. God's Word. Yes. God's Word. God's Word. I don't know how high of a place you have in your life with Scripture, with God's Word. The Bible does a funny thing with that phrase of God's Word. Because in Genesis 